Hey guys, it's Brian from Beyond the Pond. Wanted to highlight another fantastic podcast within the larger Osiris Podcast Network. That is the Daily Soundcheck with Mike Lawn Memo Mimeo. Mike Mimeo, as you all may know, is a fantastic presence within the larger fish community. Uh, he used to run a blog called The Daily Ghost, where he wrote about every single ghost that has ever been played. In the lead up to each summer tour, he does a uh, running blog series with some writers in the fish community, breaking down each show from the previous year. And the daily soundtrack is very much in this spirit. Uh, it's very organized, it's chronological, and it takes you through part of the larger fish uh, concert experience that most of us have never seen and few have heard. And that, those are sound checks. Uh, so Mike started with a sound check in 1988 and as of recording is through Hampton 1997. We're getting into a meet of some fantastic jams during sound check when the band was just letting everything kind of fall out of the wayside on stage in front of no one while they got their levels right and while they were experimenting. Uh, Mike does a really fantastic job of breaking down historically at the time of the sound check, as well as uh, the venue that they were playing at, how many times they'd been there, really unique local facts about it, and then plays the sound check in full. It's really fantastic stuff. If you are a fish nerd and you feel like you've capped out on your fish knowledge, the daily sound check is one new avenue for you to discover. I know that we're going to have Mike on here at some point soon for something really special. So keep an eye out for the daily sound check with Mike Lawn Memo Mimeo on the Osiris Podcast Network. Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. And I'm Jonathan Hart. You are tuned in to episode 60 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is the podcast in which Brian and myself and this evening, Jonathan, use the music of Fish as a means of introducing a listener to other bands. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. 
the problem with fish fans is, as you may be aware, they tend to get a bit myopic. They only focus on their favorite band. They can recount set lists and brag about the 500 tapes they have in their parents' basement, which hopefully won't get damaged by a flood like my 500 tapes were damaged by a flood. But when you ask them about other bands or what other things they listen to, they say there's other bands, and that's not cool. They have no idea. They know every selection in their fish bracket, but they have no idea what the Bandcamp app actually is. No. And we're here to change that. And tonight, today, whenever it is that you are listening to this episode, we are doing this in a very special way. If you have clicked play on this, you already know we are not talking about fish tonight, actually. We are talking about the Grateful Dead. We've brought on Jonathan Hart from Broke Down Pod to break down a phenomenal version of Dark Star from October 30th, 1973 in St. Louis. We have deep dive into this Dark Star, into this show, and we've spun this off into a playlist that we absolutely know that you guys are going to love because a lot of these are songs that you guys are, uh, or these are artists and these are genres that you guys know we love. And uh, we, we, we know if you trust us, that this is going to be a really great listen for you and a lot of really great finds for you. So we're very, very excited about this. Yeah, the last time we uh, focused on the dead on this show, I believe, was uh, back when we talked about the New Year's run, especially uh, July 29th, which had a bit of a China Rider jam into that tweezer. So some of the themes which we're going to explore in this episode include lucid dreaming, your mind has left your body, and The Dead, 1973. And on that note, let's get to some Grateful Dead. guys so as we noted here at the top we are going to be talking about the version of dark star from october 30th 1973 this is a really phenomenal version of the of the song um somewhere close to 28 29 minutes when you include the mind left body jam that happens in between and like we said we brought on our good friend our podcasting brother uh, Jonathan Hart of the Broke Down Pod, also of HF Pod, uh, all within the Osiris Podcast Network. Um, welcome back to Beyond the Pond, Jonathan. I know you were with us, uh, I think, episode 16 when we talked about fish bluegrass. It's great to have you back, man. It's good to be back. It's been quite a while. You guys have been busy since I've been gone. We've been a little active, growing <laughs> just a little bit here and there. Um, so tell us, man. Um, why are we talking about this dark star? Well, why not? And um, well, that's the first reason. But it, I think uh, I think seventy three was your idea, and then I, you know I got to looking around at what hasn't been released, which was probably my first criteria, because there are a bunch of great, great ones from this year. Um, so I z- zeroed in on the fall, and ten nineteen seventy three is on the. Dick's Picks 19, which is an amazing version and was well yes. worth the release. And and then there's the whole uh, uh, November 
Winterland 73 set that covers a bunch of stuff. And, you know, this is just, this is a killer one and there's great tapes of it. So this is where I landed. It's a really great version. It, um, I was really surprised when you sent this to me the first time I listened to it. And I, I think it gets into the larger reason of why we picked it. And I think that our, our, all of our song selections that lead off of this will make a ton of sense, but you know, I'm so used to the like 1972 versions that just kind of go off into complete <laughs> interstellar cosmic universe explorations and never really seem to find home. And this one really hones in on the theme within Dark Star and kind of like prods at the edges for nearly a half an hour, finds its way into a mind left body jam. And it I don't want to say it's like type one 1.5, like it definitely jams, but it's really wild how like it rains in on the, the overall Dark Star theme for a good 30 minutes. And I just find myself in the most like, peaceful zone when listening to this jam do, do you guys get that at all i mean there definitely is a dark star theme what you're talking about but also before they go into the mind left body jam i think a characteristic of 73 dark stars is that there's also a definite um like free jazz element to it like there's at least yeah. five minutes of kind of hard rocking atonal freak out which goes into the mlb jam you know sort of like an ornette coleman factor i know uh I get that type of thing from 73 Dark Stars, especially. Yeah, it's, um, I think the free jazz statement is, is pretty accurate. They're, they're dialed in in a different way than in 72. And I've spent a lot of time with 72 Dark Stars and 72 Dead, of course. But this year, this was the year they brought in all the Wake of the Flood material when they first set out in February. Uh, all of that material was brand new, and it really shifted the way they played. Eyes of the World became very quickly a big jammer. Here Comes Sunshine was a significant presence. And some of the ballads, the newer ballads that came in, were also extremely strong. Meanwhile, Dark Star kind of for, forges on with a band that is that much more familiar with one another. And uh, yeah, it's... They they cover some really beautiful ground. Their psychic connections are that much stronger than they were the year before. So where we find the band here in October of '73, I'm I'm constantly fascinated by the transition of '72 to '74. Where where are they kind of historically? Kind of break down where we went from Europe '72 to right up until the the you know small hiatus where are they at at this point in time well 72 europe 72 was obviously a uh, really formative time for the band and the music they were producing was outstanding truly just uh liquid psychedelic music and, yeah. and they came back and produced some of their greatest shows some of them were towering examples of great grateful dead uh, actually happened right after they came back and then in the months that follow in august and september at least arguably so and we may have that argument later um <laughs> <laughs> then uh they got to writing uh more material and that's where wake of the flood comes from 
and they took that out on the road. But also in 73, they started with the, I guess, first prototype of the Wall of Sound. And through the year, they continued to build that out and refresh it on each each outing. And that led to, in 74, the full, full-fledged Wall of Sound, which was uh, tearing off faces and uh, adverse, actually positively affecting eardrums from all reports. <laughs> it was... Uh, I talked to a guy in the early 90s and he said to me that in spite of all of the sound systems that followed for all the bands he'd ever seen, nothing sounded as good as the wall of sound. Interesting. But they had to get rid of the wall of sound reportedly because it was such a goddamn pain to get from show to show, correct? Well, it was a a monster. It took uh, uh, multiple semis and really they had to have two systems so they could be setting one up for tomorrow's show while they were playing today's show. So, um, and that was a significant uh, expense. So, so tore people's faces off, and maybe tore many a roadie's ACL at some point. <laughs> Cut a <laughs> hole in their wallets. Yes, that too. Um, so, talking about Dark Star here, um, in terms of you know, the, the song is, it always feels like more of a statement of what the Grateful Dead's larger goals were to me than a song. I don't really feel like you can classify it as like a traditional song in so many ways. But um, let's talk about some of the best versions of it. Obviously, this this has gone deep in so many different ways in this formative period for the band. But um, what would you categorize as some of the best versions that have ever been played for it? Well, I can't truly answer this without acknowledging that it's kind of a trick question because yes. you know the, there is no <laughs> true definitive this is it's a, a entirely subjective uh you can find any five deadheads and you're gonna get five sets of five dark stars uh, that said my personal number one is august 27th 1972 Benita, oregon uh the uh old renaissance fairgrounds that that dark star is from one of the highest of the 70s shows and it is an absolute just apocalyptic mind bender um and it is entirely different from quite a few of the others from that time frame and uh, i think it's because the audience and the band were really going through a thing that day Uh, which is probably a whole other podcast, honestly. But I highly recommend. We are quite lucky that there is a film and now, uh, you know, an LP record and official release of this great concert. So everybody should have that. Yeah, it's that was one of the formative jams I remember hearing, uh, you know, as I was getting into The Grateful Dead and is still one that when I return to kind of blows me away and um you know so the next one on my list uh i think we should ask dave to talk about it but i'll introduce it if you don't mind dave it's uh february 13th 1970 fillmore east new york new york dave you're the new yorker this is a solid classic and you mark this as your favorite it is it is the one i i wouldn't say i know any single dark star uh like front to back because dark star is the kind of song you could listen to it 600 times and find some kind of new wrinkle each time you listen to it but that's definitely the one i listen to most i know it's um it's on dick's picks four 
that was one of the two Valentine's Day shows that they played at the famous Fillmore East, which is located on East 6th Street and 2nd Avenue, at least it was, in the East Village. Now you go there and there's um, there's a sign, they call it Bill Graham's Way. It's an immigrant savings bank. But I think in the lobby they have some old posters for the Fillmore East. There may even be, there's a lamp post that has a, a mosaic uh, talking about the Fillmore East and other bands that have played there. So definitely, uh, if you happen to be on that corner, you will know about it. But certainly, that's the version of the song. It was was unfettered by keyboards. And it has a very, very strong version of what they call the uh, Feeling Groovy Jam, kind of based off the Simon and Garfunkel song, the uh, 59th Street Bridge song, in parentheses, Feeling Groovy. And that to me, it's just, Jerry was in really fine vocal form in that dark star and just the different ways it cycles through how it gets very quiet and comes out with the shattering wall of sound before going into that jam. That's uh, between that dark star and the version of That's It for the other one that they also play at that show. I mean, certainly... The Dick's Picks 4, I've had an opportunity to buy it on vinyl a few times, but it's always like $150, so I it's always walk it. at it. Hmm? It's totally worth it. Yeah, I'm starting to think at this point, I'm an adult and can probably afford it, so I really should just take the plunge and do it, because that's one of the greatest live performances of any band of all time. So Yeah, plus the uh, the hard to handle from that night is on uh, Bear's Choice, which is it's pretty great. That's right. Um, so next up, we jump back across the coast and go back a year. Although, again, these aren't truly in any sort of ranked order. Uh, 227.69 Fillmore West, San Francisco, California. This, of course, is the version on Live Dead. This is the gold standard. This is this is the version from which we spring into every other version. Um, this is what they had on the road late 68, early 69, uh, back when Dark Stars were very similar from show to show. Uh, they were really hammering out that set uh, that they played, you know, not quite every night, but uh, quite frequently. And it, this is this is the one they got on the tape and they got on the record, and it's amazing. I think after that, we have some others, certainly... May 11th, 1972, 47 minutes of crazy. Is that Germany or is that Rotterdam? I forget. It's Rotterdam. It was Rotterdam. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that one is pretty killer. And, you know, it's funny. This comes, of course, before the Vanita show. But uh, it goes to show that in some cases, longer is not necessarily better, or at least in some opinions. Um, But this, you know, you can't go wrong with it. Is that the one... They played for 10 minutes, go into drums, and then come back and sing the song. I think that's about right. I don't have the yeah. uh, the the Dark Star breakdown in front of me, but I know it's Dark Star, drums, Dark Star. Yes. I, I, I did uh, listen to the Europe 72 tour kind of in order a couple of years ago, and I remember getting to that and hitting, hitting play on Dark Star and just like, it was Dark Star, Dark Star, and then there were drums, and then it came in, and they started singing. And I had to like take a double look at my phone and at 
<laughs> the track listing because I was like, how long have they been playing this? I lo yeah, it was great. There's really a lot of great dark stars where they play and play and play, and then suddenly the first verse comes up. I'm like, what? Wait a second. Did I? Oh yeah. Did I lose time? Um, I just listened to one yesterday from November '73 that was like 17 minutes of playing, and then they started singing, and I looked at the uh, the phone and I was blown away. It's amazing how <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, they'll do that. We also wanted to give a shout out to uh, September 21st, 1972. Extremely powerful. Some would say even better than Vanita. I, I, be argued. I have to say that um, I put this down on here because my friend Andy, who I generally trust on musical things, mm. he and I disagree as to this versus Vanita. He's not wrong that this is amazing. This was uh, our friend and fellow podcaster RJB put this on for me winter 2015 and was like the first Grateful Dead jam that I was like, I need more of this in my veins right now. Uh, so this is always kind of the one I come back to and I'm like, this is where I, I, I saw the light for probably the final time because after that it was just all gravy at that point in time even though I've learned a lot. Wow. 2015? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it was it was too late. It was very too, it was very much too late. And then to uh, I guess ever so slightly more modern dark stars from the eighties. We've got listed here coming to mind October twenty sixth, nineteen eighty nine, from Miami, Florida. That one's unique in that it's one of kind of a handful of, uh, of latter day dark stars that don't really break up the verses. And the last seven minutes get extremely dark and extremely noisy i think it kind of sounds like being stuck inside a pinball machine <laughs> and an mr and an mri machine at the same time <laughs> i don't recommend listening to it in the dark because you'll be scared i i gotta tell you um if you dig around online find people who were there just read some first-hand reports uh people were oh, losing it <laughs> there was it was in the air it was in the water it was in the music people were losing it at this show um, wasn't that show have like a 75 minute set break like people thought the band had died <laughs> it, maybe <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not aware of the set break but this doesn't these sorts of things don't shock me um it's just, this this it, october 89 tour is uh is yeah killer i actually covered it in an episode back yes. in the fall and on the broke down pod um if I were a good podcaster, I'd know what episode it was, but just go, you can go find it. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is just really just a tit ripper kind of dark star. And then we also have listed, uh, October 31st, 1991 being that was the Halloween show from Oakland. Excellent show front to back and the dark star that's known because it has, a. Uh, the brother Ken Kesey comes out and he gives a rap in which he touches on both the recent deaths of Bill Graham and his son. I think he incorporates an E.E. E. Cummings poem into it. And while he's doing that, the band is playing behind him and it's a very driving psychedelic jam that builds to a frothy head and Kesey is like screaming into the abyss. That's uh, very, well, very well worth your time to hear that one. This, that is probably the most psychedelic jamming of 90s Grateful Dead, and it might even be, well, it's 
certainly as good as anything they did in the 80s. I think it stands up next to some of the epic 70s jams. This jam behind what Kesey is doing, the emotional morass of, you know, they're playing and what he's saying, it <laughs> it's very effective. It, it, it gets me every single time. <laughs> um, don't don't play this lightly. No, it's uh, certainly a headphones when you're by yourself and want to have all the feels. That's a good way to get there. And then there's um, stepping back like about seven or eight years earlier. There's a uh, encore version of Dark Star. I think this is the only time they ever encored with it. Is that correct? I think that's right. From July 1384. Um, this was the first version of the 80s, I believe. Well, actually, it was the first one since uh, 1231-81. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so this was a bust out of a couple of years at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and as, as I know Dave has noted, this is played at 84 speed, so you can almost do it on a... You can almost listen to this on a treadmill and uh, get a good <laughs> jog. <laughs> it's brisk. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and this is... Um, was this from the Greek? Yep. Yeah, the crowd reaction is fantastic to this. Well, the... Uh... Yeah, that was the famous show, the Scarlet Touch Fire. Right, and the uh, dead-based notation on that Dark Star is that there was a shooting star just before they played Dark Star. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody saw it. <laughs> um, so really quickly, before we talk about the show, you know, this version of Dark Star that we're talking about here from October 30th, 1973, is um, it feels unique in the overall history of the song are, are there any comparable dead jams that you guys have or any comparable songs that you can uh you would throw out there in terms of if you like this dark star this is another kind of uh faction of it within the dead's overall plane everything is so unique but there are there are a couple other songs that that can get to where this one gets to. Is that a good sentence? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's a couple songs that go in that, they can go that way, but they don't always. So you really have to, you know, poke around to find the right ones. Bird song is actually the first one that comes to mind. Uh, some totally. people, uh, Craig, uh, call it a uh, bird star uh, because mm. even when they weren't playing dark star, it was inside a bird song. You know, Jerry used to say during the, the periods, you know, well, why, why don't we play? People always ask why we don't play Dark Star, but there's Dark Star in everything we do, and it's very mm. much in Birdsong, which uh, stuck around for uh, a, stuck around for a lot of time in the catalog, yeah. even when Dark Star wasn't there. Yeah, I can definitely hear that, especially this version. It's so melodic that um, it kind of sounds like a rising Birdsong jam. Yeah. I just think that um, also shout out to, in addition to quite possibly having the best Dark Star of all time, uh, the August 27th, 72 show has my favorite bird song, which I think is the best bird song of all time. I, I can agree with that, actually. I think that that is that's it's also my favorite bird version. song. That bit when, uh, you know, they have the like two second drum break and then they right, come the start slamming back into it. And with Jerry on the high bit, ah, I can hear it in my head right now. <laughs> Sorry for everybody else out there who can't. 
another song, of course, that we would be remiss to omit would be the other one, which is, you know, basically their other improv powerhouse throughout kind of most of the band's career. Uh, Came around in, I think, in 67. And, you know, it was typically heavier, but depending on the time frame, it could get into all kinds of spaces, including, you know, some very lyrical, beautiful spaces. And this, uh, the early 70s would be a perfect time to find that 72 uh, 73 74 were there were a lot of really terrific other one jams uh, that are well worth everybody's time yeah and on that europe 72 tour i feel like if they i could be wrong and there's uh, an outlier here but if they played dark star at one show you got the other one at the next show and that kind of went on throughout the the overall tour, at least from from my memory of listening to that. Does that sound right? Well, they rarely uh, rarely came in the same show. Yeah. So they were, and they were when they were most interested in jamming, they were trading off or or they'd extend a truck and never actually get to Dark Star or the other one or something like that. But yeah, that's not a crazy notion. Um. Alright, so beyond this jam, this is a really enjoyable show, and um, the second set is really fantastic. Um, Where does this kind of sit for you guys in terms of the overall Fall 73 tour? Like, how does this show fall into that tour? I I, I feel like this one uh, has been overlooked because it's one of the handful of really great ones that they haven't released yet. So, uh, you know, we've we got uh, the last show of the year, 1219, as Dick's Picks 1. You know, they've released, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a chunk of the Winterland shows from November. They released uh, 1019 from, where's that, Oklahoma City, which actually that's the week that Wake of the Flood was released. Uh, even though they'd been playing this material all year, uh, the album oh, didn't come out until... Uh, 10 10 15 um, you know there are other really high points like um, you know the November, later November run after the Winterland shows they're just they're they're jamming like mad this band is really on and I think this is an excellent example of where they are at this time um, from a setlist standpoint, this opens up with a really lovely version of Here Comes Sunshine, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was this the last time it opened a show until it's bust out in 1992, December 6th? Yes, but I, I try not to talk about the bust out in 1992 because it makes me cry. Mm. Because I never saw it when they brought it back. Ah, Despite the I, different arrangement or whatever, I desperately wanted to see it. Just just to see it. Yeah, no, yeah. I get it. Because I, I was reading a bit about it uh, yesterday and it's not... And, from everything I can tell, it's controversial with the, the new arrangement. But that's you just wanted to see it no matter what. I was fine with it. I wanted to hear that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I understand that completely. There's uh, there are a couple of fish bust outs that I feel the same way about. Um, Ramble on Rose and Deal, uh, very you know strong early set one highlights. Those are two of my favorites to hear in set ones. Road Jimmy, I, I, we should let Road J speak about this. Uh, it's version. It, it's it's a standard, excellent seventy three Rojimi. 
honestly. Yeah. Um, Jack Straw, China Rider, it's very hard to go wrong here. And the set closes with a 20-minute psych-out total jam fest uh, out of playing in the band, which, um, you know, you talk about this era and Dark Star, other one, playing in the band, had really come into its own at this point in time in 73, hadn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure why I didn't mention playing in the band in our earlier uh, segment on big jammers. I think it's because the jams were so different. Playing in the band jams were typically really balls to the wall um, out there and in the best possible way. Uh, but yeah, this is a great one. I, I definitely listened to this one several times while I've had this show up to reference the Dark Star. Yeah, they definitely sound the most like 94 tweezer and bowies to me <laughs> in the sense that it, it's not a, it's not like they're really trying to go for a melodic sense like it's it's very dissonant they're they're trying to kind of play against each other and just explore and that's really the end goal and i tend to like that i, I really enjoy this version um in terms of set two so before we jump into the actual jam here that we're going to be playing, just of note, uh, Jonathan, I think you're going to be featuring a good amount of the second set over on Broke Down Pod. Is that right? Yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, call it a bonus episode, and I'll put out you know, a big chunk of the set two and have a couple additional words about it on there for everybody. But yeah, jump over to Broke Down Podcast, and you'll be able to hear um, more than more than just the dark star uh we'll go all the way through that weather report which is so good the whole thing so good it's it's 70 minutes of music that like i just think of being in college and a friend being like you have to listen to this and i'm like a friday night and pressing play at dark star and dark star mind left body dark star stella eyes weather report i mean it's just unbelievable stuff fully flowing jams great song selections i just i absolutely love it i just want to <laughs> i just want to give one quick shout out to one of my earliest tapes and one of my favorite 73 shows which i don't think was ever released officially being november 17th 1973 from ucla Killer. this is the one in the second set it's got the playing in the band to uncle john's band to Morning Dew, back to Uncle John's band, back into playing in the band. So it's got your, like, triple-decker playing band, Uncle John's band sandwich, which... Yeah, they only did that a couple of times. They did it at Winterland about a week before. Yes. Um, so, and and the playing Uncle John's kind of ran together a lot in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s, but never this complete sandwich like they were doing in 73 it melted my young 16 year old face the first time i heard that on that note let's listen to some grateful dead Thank you. 
So I hope that you guys all enjoyed that Dark Star Mind Left Body Dark Star Jam there. Before we jump into our segments of music here, we wanted our guest Jonathan to break down for us kind of what was the Mind Left Body Jam. Uh, so Mind Left Body Jam is this passage of uh, it's it's this co- passage of chords that are very similar to the Paul Kantner song, Your Mind Has Left Your Body. It's from the album Baron Von Tollbooth and the Chrome Nun. Uh, Jerry spent a lot of time in the studio with Kantner. Uh, it, you can hear it, some of that work on the so-called Paro sessions. Um, so there is, uh, there's even a, a one track, for, I think, from that that has that chord progression. But regardless, uh, the theme started popping up in um, in dead shows uh you hear it in in three five seventy two um and then you hear it on and off throughout the history of the grateful dead um phil has kind of disputed it they he's like it's just four chords uh they called it they called it the mud love buddy jam on dick's fix 12 but it's still it's 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 so close at times some of the early versions in particular are so close that unless Jerry tells me that it's not, then it, then I'm going to, I'm going to have to go ahead and say that it's at least uh, referential to your mind has left your body. <laughs> and it is fascinating how you hear it and it just has this like hypnotic effect on you as you're listening to it. Oh yeah. It's um, extremely soothing and it's beautiful. But not to be confused with the so-called beautiful jam, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> so um, kind of with all this in mind, you know, we had talked a lot before this, before going to record here about the idea of lucid dreaming, that, you know, you really get this sense listening to this dark star, listening to my left body of this idea of lucid dreaming. And we've each picked out two tracks here, two artists that, um, we, we want to focus on that we think in some ways replicates this comments on this melodically it has a feel and a space similar to what we're hearing here from this dark star um, so my first artist that i'm going to pick here is steve gunn and the title track from his 2014 record way out weather is a song that i'm going to pick um, we featured this album and steve gunn's work in uh, episode five where we covered the Alpine 1998 tweezer. Um, to me, this title track sounds like sitting on a bus in Southeast Asia, nodding in and out of sleep, having no idea where you actually are on a map and wondering if you're actually living a real life. Uh, my brother actually gave me this record upon my return to the U.S. after two years in Asia. And this song, literally every time I hear it, it just zaps me back into this feeling of traveling to that part of the world um, and kind of just like middle of the day, kind of nodding in and out of sleep and just constantly feeling like you're in a dream world. Um, this record was the follow-up to Steve Gunn's 2013 LP time off, which was the first to really showcase him as not just an extraordinary guitarist. He actually spent some time 
backing up Kurt Vile and the Violators, but here really as a hell of a songwriter as well. Um, and for me, it's this record, Way Out Weather and The Unseen In Between that came out earlier in 2019. That's just the best statement on his career thus far. Um, as a really great pitchfork writer, Jeremy Larson described, um, you throw on a gun track and you feel like you've landed in the middle of Jerry Garcia, Dwayne Almond, and a John Fahey session. And this song really kind of exemplifies that. There are parts of this track that just sound like something Jerry could have played. Um, now, to be clear, if you've listened to this podcast at all since its inception, you know how we feel about Steve Gunn. There's nothing new that we can tell you than to ask you why you haven't yet listened to him if you haven't, or to once again celebrate him for being a brilliant guitarist and songwriter once again. If this song does not give you that sense of floating half awake in the midst of a dream, um, at least it's a very incredible, it's a, it's an incredibly pleasing tune to have stuck in your head at any point in the day, much like the dark side that we just played. So we're going to go ahead here and play a little bit of Way Out Weather off of Steve Gunn's 2014 record of the same name. Okay, Brian, thank you very much for playing that uh, Steve Gunn song. It's no secret that we love Steve Gunn on Beyond the Pond. He's almost taken on war on drugs level of praise at this point. Not quite. It's a drinking game now. (laughs) Yeah, Steve Gunn. Definitely take a shot or something or other. So I'm going to talk about artists that's very different than Steve Gunn. Going to talk about the group Underworld, and the song is called Jumbo. And I feel as if we um, one time showcased a song off of Underworld's most recent full length in 2016, entitled Barbara Barbara We Face a Shining Future on Beyond the Pond. 
think that might have been one of our year-end episodes. That was a record I liked a whole lot. But uh, as Brian just exhibited with Steve Gunn, we'll place no limit on repeat artists that we love and think you should want to pay more attention to. So Underworld are the British duo of Carl Hyde and Rick Smith, who since the early 90s, they've, tracked, uh, they've trafficked in a delectable form of techno dance music, emphasizing big beats and synthesizers, and supplemented by Carl Hyde on vocals. And I think for a time in the 90s, they were also supplemented by a younger DJ named Darren Emerson, who kind of did a lot of contributions to their albums in 1994-1996, but he departed prior to the band's 2002 album, A Hundred Days Off. And if you know Underworld at all, you probably know him from the song Born Slippy Nooks, which is basically the theme song to the movie Train Spotting and kind of put them on the map in America. And that movie also features the song Dark Train, which is a remix of their song Dark and Long. In the scene when Ewan McGregor as Mark Renton is going through heroin withdrawal and experiencing all sorts of awful nightmares as a result. So both of these guys are in their early 60s at this point, and to their credit, they continue to put out new and interesting dance music and really push the envelope. They actually recently put out two separate EPs, both entitled Drift, Volumes 1 and Volume 2. Actually, they're called Episode 1 and 2. And of the second, it concludes with a 47-minute song that's a collaboration with Beyond the Pond faves The Next. And as you might guess from that description, it does not suck. And they're almost fishy in the sense that uh, they continue to innovate into their old age. And they've done extracurriculars, like they helped direct the music for the uh, 2012 London Olympics. I know Carl Hyde has collaborated with Brian Eno on more than one occasion. And their live shows are still phenomenal. And they often have the band uh, like remixing their songs for the stage on the fly. So this song, Jumbo, is off of their 1999 album, Boku Fish, and it bears more than a little bit of relation to the Madonna song, Ray of Light. And to me, it kind of feels like navigating a neon dream world of sorts. Uh, the vocals just bob right under the surface, the synthesizers, they massage your temples, and the beat is insistent. And actually... Spotify, as of lately, they've had this trend where, uh, in addition to music, you look at your phone, and sometimes some bands will have some images, and the image that shows up when you play this song is a green rotating marshmallow, which is kind of the right idea. But really, it's the vocals in this song that kind of give it uh, its dreamiest quality. And if you really want a great career overview of the band, I don't often recommend greatest hits compilations. But in this case, I would recommend the 1992-2012 comp highly as it really covers all the high points that still make up about 60% of uh, the Underworld live show. And once you get into that, you will definitely want to go backwards through their discography. So let's listen to the song Jumbo by Underworld.
Thank you for that one. Um, my selection is a group called Elkhorn, and the song is Lion, which is from their 2018 Eiderdown Records tape slash digital release entitled Lionfish. Elkhorn is a duo. Jesse Shepard plays acoustic guitar. Drew Gardner plays electric. And together they craft compositions that are uh, always shot through with improv. They actually have a pair of new albums just uh, coming out this month, Sun Cycle and Elk Jam on Feeding Tube Records. And uh, if you'll forgive, guys, forgive me the shameless plug, but I did an extensive interview with them, both Jesse and Drew, on Broke Down Podcast episode 41, which came out in March. So um, that being said, Jesse's acoustic playing at times names check name checks American primitive players, but he's really not the hold into that sound. Uh, Drew comes from heavier free jazz improv rock background. Uh, and together, these guys, who've, they've known each other since middle school. They have a telepathic compatibility. Uh, Jesse lays the groundwork. Drew goes on top, but they are listening and shifting uh, in sympathetic, sympathetic ways. On this track... Lion, as with the flip side of the tape, Fish, they're completely improvising an accompaniment to a short psychedelic trip. The come up is atmospheric, there's a period of disorientation, things begin to fall into place and glide up to a peak before gradually falling apart again. Then you get to flip the tape and have another go. So, uh, something I would share with you that is possibly apocryphal from the liner notes of the tape. In the fall of 2017, Drew Gardner, the electric guitarist in the duo Elkhorn, had a life-changing mystical experience 80 feet underwater while scuba diving in Belize. Exploring the lush barrier reef 50 miles off the coast, he saw a particularly intriguing lionfish, and mesmerized by its great beauty, reached out his hand to this wondrous animal. Lionfish are gorgeously proportioned, elaborately decorated beasts, plumed in the manner of... Oh, Quetzalcoatl, I can't pronounce that properly, I think, with 18 hypodermic... Yeah. Say it again? I think it's Quetzalcoatl. Okay, it's there you squirrels. go. Yeah. With 18 hypodermic spines, each holding a payload of powerful neurotoxic venom, making contact at the exact point where man and God failed to touch in Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam, the lionfish injected Gardner in the tip of his right index finger. At that moment, Gardner says... The spirit of all creation was delivered instantly to the core of my heart. Now, I won't read the whole notes to you, but I will paraphrase to say he brought some home and they tried it again. And that's what this record is designed to accompany. Uh, so take it as you will. I didn't ask him about it when I had him on the show. Don't know why, but um, we, we covered a lot of other ground. 
but anyways this is just a magical track and i hope you guys hope you guys like it this is elkhorn lion Hope you guys enjoyed first few tunes that we had there. We're going to talk a bit here about new album recommendations. Uh, 2019 keeps chugging along with some fantastic releases. We're going to highlight three of them right now. Mine is a record I've been wanting to feature for a little bit. We were talking about so much new music throughout February that we didn't really get a chance to do new album recommendations. So uh, this is Dave Harrington Group's Pure Imagination, No Country. This record came out in early February, and uh, it's received a decent bit of press within the indie jam community. Uh, it's one of my favorite records of the year that, uh, so far, and I really wanted to give it the push that it deserves here for anyone who hasn't heard it. Um, so you might have heard of Dave Harrington from his time serving as the guitarist in uh, the group Dark Side, which was something of a... Uh, Nicholas Jar side project that put out a 2013 record, Psychic, that was one of my favorite records from that year and still one of my favorites of the decade. Um, Pure Imagination, No Country, the 2019 release from Dave Harrington's group is less dance floory, more sonic, more heady. Um, it's right in line with everything that I want to hear from music right now. 
Uh, the record is constantly on the move, and it's reflective of it's reflective in many ways of Harrington's relentless gigging around New York City in the years since Psychic came out. Uh, Harrington and Jar both opted to not do a follow up to uh, the Dark Side project. Nicholas Jar released a number of EPs in, I believe, 2015, and then um, his follow up full length record in 2016. And uh, Dave Harrington just started gigging around New York City in that period of time. Um, ideas in this record are just tossed out without restraint. You're rarely given the chance to just sit with a thought. Uh, the result is a record that feels like it must be heard repeatedly to fully grasp it. And rarely do you ever feel like you're fully understanding what's happening. Now, this is not to say that it's not calming or peaceful or enjoyable. To the contrary, this constant motion within the record has a kind of numbing effect and the record just keeps you in your place because of the movement that you want to grasp and continuously understand. Um, think of the playing in the band jams that we were talking about in their first segment of the, of the show. The old record overall peaks with the 11 minute track patch one. It's one of my favorite tracks of the year and a song that sounds like it could have been featured in any of our last few episodes. And the record concludes with a just gorgeous psychedelic and warp take on the song Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Harrington's pedal steel guitar is at center stage here, creating this very dreamlike effect to the song so many of us have probably heard two to three dozen times, if not many more in our own lives. And it's the perfect antidote to the album. Really makes me wish that there was a companion piece to this record later in the year, because it feels like a break, a pause, and then you have something else that comes out after it, um, the second disc of sorts. So Dave Harrington Group's Pure Imagination, No Country. If you have not listened to this and you like any part of this episode, I would highly recommend it. Uh, Dave, what do you have for us? So we're talking a lot about this episode about dreamy music, lucid dreaming, quality of psychedelia. This record is a rock album. It's going to wake you up from your stupor. This is an album by a band called Feels. That's all caps, F-E-E-L-S. The album is called Post-Earth. This is a Los Angeles-based post-punk band, certainly emphasis on the punk, fronted by the front women lead, uh, Leon, yeah, Liana Geronimo and Sharon Lay. And kind of sometimes it's easiest to describe a band in terms of what they remind you of and their obvious influences and what keeps coming to mind with this album would be Slater Kinney, circa their album Dig Me Out, and earlier B-52s in terms of uh, skeletal rock and roll, call and response vocals, and brimming intensity. So while all this makes for a very fun album, and it's compact in that it's only 35 minutes, they don't exactly traffic in positive subject matter. I mean, most of this album, the lyrics are existential dread over climate change and the end of civilization, thus the album title Post-Earth. Really, anyone who appreciates uh, hairpin turns and whip-cracked Janet Weiss-style drumming that popular early Slater Kinney albums, classic Gang of Four, even some Buzzcocks, will uh, absolutely find something to enjoy on this record. Definitely one of uh, the better rock albums I've heard in kind of what's still a pretty young year, and I've been listening to it quite a bit. So that's Feels Post-Earth. Jonathan, what do you got for us? Uh, I've got a, yet another direction. 
So I have Larry Oaks, Nels Klein, and Gerald Cleaver. What is to be done? This early 2019 album is the first release from this combo featuring saxophone. I'll get it eventually. Saxophone <laughs> player Larry Oaks of the long-running Rova Saxophone Quartet. Outstanding Detroit drummer Larry, uh, Gerald Cleaver. Gerald Cleaver, who has been playing with all kinds of folk throughout this century, and a guitarist, Nels Klein, who, though he's most widely known as a guitar player for Wilco, is really a jazz titan, and in my opinion, one of the greatest guitar players currently active. Klein and Oaks have collaborated on a couple occasions in the past, as of Oaks and Cleaver. This was the first time the trio had come together. They played a short run of shows in late 2016, and the Richmond, Virginia show at Gallery 5 was recorded and released here. Thing is, I was at that show. Although I knew Nels Klein and what he could get up to, I had no idea what we were about to hear. We went into this uh, small room I'd never been into before. They came on a stage. There was probably, I don't know, 25, 30 people, maybe a few more than that. They melted our faces. The set's nearly an hour long, and it's all here on the album. The first piece is a 21-minute improvisation just tore the doors off the room. Now, I should say, I bought this album with absolutely no awareness that it was live, much less that it was from a show that I attended. I uh, was <laughs> kind of grabbing some things for my phone uh, because I was going on vacation. I saw Nels Klein. I saw a jazz trio. I was like, okay. Bought it immediately, downloaded it to my phone, didn't look at it again until I was on vacation. So there I was, late morning, palm trees, light breeze, blue ocean in my view. I had the condo to myself, so I cracked a beer, hooked up a speaker to my phone, and pressed play. And as I listened, the opening track, uh, Outcries Rousing, I read Sam Cutler's version of the horrible events at Altamont. The dread and tension boiled within me from both the book and the music, and I was completely blown away. I played the album twice through while I was sitting there at the beach, and... It was not until the following week after I came home that I discovered the source of the album was a show that I attended, which is always a wonderful treat. This thing <laughs> is not for the weak of heart, but then again, neither are the best Grateful Dead jams. All right. So continuing with our theme from segment one, we're going to talk about lucid dreaming once again and feature some songs here and some artists that we think that you guys are just going to fall into. It's kind of abyss of hypnosis and, you know, just very uh, like peaceful, calming vibes that came from that dark star that we listened to earlier. So the first thing we've got up is um, an artist and a song and an album I've been wanting to feature on the podcast proper for a long time. And that is the band mountains. And the song Sand, which is the 11-minute opening track on their 2013 record, Centralia. And Mountains are a Brooklyn-based ambient duo. Uh, which, of note, this was recorded for the Thrill Jackie label, which we talked about at length a few episodes ago with Rob Mitchum. Uh, very, very, very keen Beyond the Pond fans. And if someone <laughs> noticed this, I will be ever forever grateful. Uh, we'll recall that I used this during our fall 1997, 20 years later, Twitter project, not a Beyond the Pond episode proper, uh, 
to compare to the 11-13-1997 stash, which I would say if you like any of the music that we're featuring here and you have not heard that fish jam, get on it immediately. Um, really, if you enjoy the wide open metallic spaces of ambient washes of sound that fish lived in during the best non-funk jams in fall 97, then you will really love this record. So like the Dark Star that we featured, the music here doesn't so much leave the space of the song that it originates within as it exists within it. It travels amongst it while keeping you fascinated by the subtle shifts and perspective alternating this, this does it unveils. The record is a layer of acoustic instrumentation with electronic sheen glossed atop. It never loses its organic quality, however, throughout the entire record, and the duo, Cohen Holtkamp and Brendan Ondergreg, properly build the record over the course of an hour and change into subtle into this very subtle climb that feels like you're living in it. This record was huge for me throughout 2013. Funny enough, all three artists that I've featured here in this podcast or in this episode um, have a strong connection to the music I was really into during 2013-2014, a time when I was solely focused on travel and reaching this very consistent zen space through running. Uh, much like this dark star that we featured um, this is music that I brought hiking with me and like guide me through this really open-ended period of my own life one note if you dig this song that we're gonna play here sand please do not skip on the rest of the record particularly the 20-minute centerpiece propeller it's a live recording that really showcases the brilliance of the duo's work and the overall open spaces they communicate within so we're going to listen to just a snippet here of Sand from Mountain's 2013 record Centralia. Hey, Brian, thank you uh, very much for that 
snippet of sand, different type of sand than most of our listeners are used to, but that's okay. So I'm going to discuss as a band I think we've talked about before on this podcast, that being the sea and cake. And the song is called I Miss the Glance. I'm pretty sure this band has been discussed at some length or other in a prior episode. I know we briefly touched upon them with Rob Mitchum, as they're a 90s Chicago band that featured members of Tortoise, the Cocktails, and especially uh, drummer John McIntyre. And they put out the records on Thrill Jackie. And actually, their most recent album, Any Day, pretty good album, came out last year. But this song is the concluding track on their 2000 release, We, which was actually released the same day as Radiohead's Kid A, October 3rd, 2000. And while not my favorite seeing cake record, it's probably their dreamiest. The dream being of the listener who's poolside, some tropical, all-inclusive resort, kind of going in and out of sleep on a chaise lounge. And people often deride seeing cake records as being ACDC-like in their interchangeable aspects. I don't think that's entirely true. There's certainly uh, some subtle differences between them. What is for sure is that they're probably the least abrasive brand band on Thrill Jockey. There's nothing here to rub salt into your wounds like the most aggressive aspects of Tortoise or Isotope 217. The key word is calm. And I think I kind of listened to the most amount of seeing cake back in 2007 and 2009 when I was commuting 45 minutes to work each way on a train. I would unquestionably listen to this band on the rides back into New York City, fall asleep, and often wake up with this song when the train was already in Penn Station and the conductor was kind of nudging me to get my lazy self up. And the song itself sounds like somewhat of a dream. Sam Precop's already quiet vocals are even more whispery than usual. The percussion doesn't so much slap as massage one's temples. And the whole package is a one of being in between sleep and wakefulness. Let me tell you, I had the most vivid dreams on that commuter train ever. I don't miss it. I'm uh, perfectly happy to have an office in the city and not have to spend 90 minutes of my day doing that. But it was, uh, it was an interesting period of time. So let's listen to part of I Missed the Glance by the Sea and Cake. Thank you. 
All right, David, that was uh, great. I might have to try that on my next commuter train ride. Uh, I'm going to veer a little bit different direction, talking about Daniel Bachman's tune, Invocation, which is the opener to his 2018 album, The Morning Star. Now, Invocation is not what most folks would expect when dialing up, dialing up an album from a young torchbearer in the American primitive, cosmic Americana, psychedelic folk music movement. Uh, the first six minutes is a sound collage of field recordings and AM radio recordings. And soon the shrewdy box and droning fiddle rise up in the mix. This thing is a, it's a forward progression from some of the parts of Fahey's Requia into the cosmic 21st century. <laughs> There's hints of rhythm that slip in and out of the mix. And finally, after 11 minutes, we hear the first notes of guitar, but that's about all the guitar you get on this. It's uh, almost appalling that a guitar player commits the first side of his double LP, and it's an entire side at 18 minutes to a track with zero guitar. But what can I tell you? It's beautiful, dreamy, intense, meditative music. This is uh, Daniel Bachman's third album on the excellent Three Lobed Recordings label, which has released so many albums that I love and I often buy for, I buy first and sample later. Uh, other release on there that might be pertinent, other releases on there that might be pertinent to this discussion include Jack Rose's I Do Play Rock and Roll, particularly the song Sundogs, Jenks Miller and Rose Cross in C, Blues from What, with a track Scrying in Water, Wrighton's The Emerald Tablet features an epic and electric track obligation and the just released Mary Lattimore Mac McCon album New Rain Duets which features Lattimore's harp and McCon's synthesizer and they work together in a dreamy dreamy blend um, I want to I want to thank you guys for letting me sneak in those extra half dozen tracks just there and, I want to uh, thank you for doing that <laughs> and I'd also <laughs> like to throw out Jack Rose's Luck in the Valley or the Black Twig Pickers Aranto Special as candidates for least abrasive thrill jockey releases, but only if you can hang with the old-timey music vibe. What should I about to do here? Black Twig Pickers put out a great record with Steve Gunn. Yep. Uh, also with Jack Rose. Yes. Time. Uh, so all that being said, let's uh, take a little, little trip with Daniel Bachman's Invocation.
All right, guys. Thank you so much for hanging with us here while we veered a little bit off course while still kind of keeping things close to home. It was super cool for us to, after 60 episodes, and here and now on our 60th episode, diving into the Grateful Dead proper to do it with a good friend of ours, Jonathan, from the Broke Down Pod. This was fantastic. Um, just a quick rundown of the songs that you that you guys heard here. Um, we will be featuring everything that is possible to be featured within our Spotify playlist, so keep an eye out for that. Um, we had Steve Gunn's Way Out Weather up in segment one. Underworld Jumbo. Elkhorn with Lion. Segment two, continuing the theme of lucid dreaming, we had Mountains Sand. The Sea and Cake, I Miss the Glance. And Daniel Bachman's just phenomenal opening track of his 2018 record, The Morning Star, Invocation. So just a reminder, you can always find us on social media. We are at Twitter, at underscore beyond the pond, one word. You can also look for Jonathan's podcast, Broke Down Pod. It's on Twitter. It's just at Broke Down Pod, one word. Simplecast website is beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. Of course, on Spotify, we have the Beyond the Pond podcast song master playlist, in which, uh, to the extent that they're available on Spotify, we try to add the songs that you hear in this episode. It's getting uh, quite, quite long at this point. Check us out. The other podcast on the Osiris Podcast Network at OsirisPod.com, O-S-I-R-I-S-P-O-D.com. Also, now that we've partnered up with Jambase, you can locate all of the Osiris podcasts at uh, Jambase.com on one convenient place for you to see. Also, please go to iTunes, leave us a review. We like reading them. It's fun to us. And they also, each iTunes review, it kind of uh, increases our visibility in Apple land, just uh, as it were. Absolutely. And quick reminder here, publishing structure tends to be every other Tuesday. We're going to kind of stick to that here, although we have a couple episodes coming out now in April that will break with that cycle, as well as May and leading up to summer tour. We've just got a lot of episodes coming out, but... We tend to stick to uh, every other Tuesday when we're, we have our heads on straight. Um, the Broke Down Pod, as you well know, we, we had Jonathan Hart on here tonight. The Broke Down Pod comes out, uh, what would you say, John? Twice a month? How, how often? I shoot for twice a month on, on Tuesdays as well. So some Tuesdays, everybody gets a lot of good stuff to listen to. Back to back to back. If, you, if you're... WFMU fans, if you're our fa- if you're fans of us, if you're fans of Broke Down Pod, you've got like eight hours of music that you can be listening to with the uh, Frau Show th- uh, stream. So um, definitely would encourage you guys go and check out Broke Down Pod. There's some fantastic stuff there, including a bonus episode that is going to uh, showcase the majority of the second set from the October 30th, 1973 show that we played. I don't know about you guys, but I hate Tuesdays. I think Tuesdays suck. But <laughs> the fact that you get Beyond the Bond and the Broke Down Pod on Tuesdays is uh, we're trying to do what we can to help you out in that respect. 
I, I like Tuesday yeah. because yeah. the podcast is done and I don't have to stress about it for another two weeks. <laughs> it's out. All you got to do is promote it. I yeah. feel that. Um, one quick note before we depart. Um, a lot of the artists that we featured here, especially a lot of the artists that uh, Jonathan featured, uh, can be found uh, on Bandcamp and we would highly recommend checking them out, checking out their Bandcamp pages, buying a record, buying some merch. Uh, we're big advocates of that, as well as uh, if any of these artists are coming through your town, go and check them out, buy a t-shirt, buy a record. It's a great way to support them and continue the spread of music like this. Absolutely. And yeah, Jonathan, thank you very much for coming on Beyond the Pond, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. And uh, we'll have you on at some point in the not too distant future, I think. Thank you, guys. I, I love the opportunity to come on and talk about Grateful Dead and new music. These are these are things I love. So it's been fun. Yeah, it was great, man. Thank you. On that note, I would say come back in approximately two weeks. We will fight fish myopia. We will hold hands. We will introduce you to plenty of new music. And we will go beyond the pond. Osiris.